The term signature is simply another word for need. And when homicide investigators study a crime, they search for a motive, a reason for that crime. No one can determine with any accuracy or precision the factors or feelings which may motivate and drive a man to murder. But the study of his crimes will reveal his signature. While some murderers may bury their methods of operation in an effort to deceive authorities or engage in experimentation, a killer's choices, actions, and words reflect his needs, even when he attempts to deceive and even when he does not realize that he is doing so. In this sense, the killer's crimes will reveal his psychological fingerprint. That's about the worst I've seen. The kids just chopped up real nice college kids, just stabbed for no reason at all. I, I, I never witnessed anything like it before. I want to report a murder. No, a double murder. Where are you now? I'm the one who did it. Uh, he appears to have no conscience at all. No reason or even alleged justification for anything that he does. We don't know what's going to happen, what his mode of operation is or anything. I was not happy to see that I did not get front page coverage. Zodiac. A to Z. This is the Zodiac speaking. Up to the end of October, I have killed seven people. I have grown rather angry with the police for their telling lies about me. So I shall change the way the collecting of slaves. I shall no longer announce to anyone. When I commit my murders, they shall look like routine robberies, killings of anger, plus a few fake accidents, etc. The police shall never catch me because I have been too clever for them. One, I look like the description passed out only when I do my thing. The rest of the time I look entirely different. I shall not tell you what my disguise consists of when I kill. Two, as of yet, I have left no fingerprints behind me, contrary to what the police say. In my killings, I wear transparent fingertip guards. All it is is two coats of airplane cement coated on my fingertips. Quite unnoticeable and very effective. Three, my killing tools have been boughten through the mail order outfits before the ban went into effect. Except one, and it was bought out of the state. 
So as you can see, the police don't have much to work on. If you wonder why I was wiping the cab down, I was leaving fake clues for the police to run all over town with, as one might say. I gave the cops some busy work to do to keep them happy. I enjoy needling the blue pigs. Hey, blue pig, I was in the park. You were using fire trucks to mask the sound of your cruising prowl cars. The dogs never came within two blocks of me, and they were to the west, and there was only two groups of parking about ten minutes apart, and then the motorcycles went by about 150 feet away, going from south to northwest. Hey, pig, doesn't it rile you up to have your nose rubbed and your boo-boos? By the way, it could be rather messy if you tried to bluff me. The Zodiac's M.O., modus operandi, or method of operation, varied concerning the method of attack, including by knife and by gun, the choice of victims, couples, and a lone male, the time of the attack, early evening and late at night. These variations could be the result of experimentation, personal choice, some unknown plan, or an attempt to confuse investigators. The killer may have changed weapons, victims, and locations, but certain aspects of his crimes remain consistent and indicate his signature, his needs, before, during, and after the attack. Each crime demonstrates a connection between his behavior and his needs, illustrating the process by which his behavior satisfies those needs. The killer's reasons for killing may remain unknown, but his behavior reveals his needs. No list of Zodiac characteristics could be complete, but an examination of his actions reveals 20 points which provide a portrait of the killer. Number 1. The killer's crimes often appear to lack obvious motive, meaning no evidence of sexual assault, robbery of significant monetary value, or personal animosity. In his first attack, the killer approached two teenage victims as they sat in a parked vehicle at a lover's lane spot along an isolated road at night. He apparently fired shots into the vehicle. The victims escaped through the passenger door. The killer then shot the male victim in the head and then fired five shots into the back of the female victim as she tried to run away. The killer then left the scene. There was no evidence of robbery, sexual assault, or personal animosity towards the victims. In the second attack, the killer approached a young couple who were sitting in a parked car at a public park at night. This time, he simply opened fire on the victims as they sat inside the car. He may have decided that allowing the victims to exit the vehicle was too risky after the first shooting. Again, there was no evidence of robbery, sexual assault, or personal animosity towards the victims. In the third attack, the killer stabbed a young couple in a recreational area at a lake in the early evening hours before dark. 
He told the victims that he needed to take their money in their car so he could escape to Mexico. But he left the money and the car keys at the scene. Again, there was no evidence of actual robbery, sexual assault, or personal animosity towards the victims. In the fourth attack, the killer selected his next victim when he hailed a cab in the city of San Francisco at night. He asked to be taken to an intersection in the upscale neighborhood of Presidio Heights, where he shot the male driver once in the head. He then removed a piece of the victim's shirt and also took the man's wallet. He later sent three pieces of the victim's shirt along with handwritten letters in an apparent effort to prove that he was actually responsible for the murder. This crime was apparently the first time that the killer took anything from the victims, and the crime appeared to be a simple robbery until the killer's letter arrived. While the killer did take the victim's wallet, robbery was apparently not the primary motive for this attack. The main objective appeared to be killing the victim and removing the piece of his shirt to later send with letters as proof that the killer was responsible for the crime. The evidence did not indicate that the killer was acting on any personal animosity toward the victim. Number 2. The killer makes little to no effort to conceal his actions, often choosing populated or popular areas as the locations for his attacks. The first attack occurred at a lover's lane spot along an isolated road, but the second attack occurred in the parking lot of a public park. The third attack occurred at a popular recreation area by a lake during daylight hours. The fourth attack occurred in a residential neighborhood. Number three, the killer takes risks beyond those preferable to someone who has serious fear of capture. At Lake Berryessa, the killer attacked during daylight hours, increasing the chances that he or his vehicle may have been seen by witnesses. He donned a hooded costume, which undoubtedly limited his peripheral vision during the attack, increasing the chances that he might not see some nearby witnesses and therefore expose himself to greater risk of being interrupted and or captured. After shooting the cab driver, the killer remained at the scene and stayed in the cab as he removed the piece of the victim's shirt, and he was seen by several witnesses, including two police officers. Number 4. The killer's crimes appear to be premeditated in nature, and often indicate preparation and planning. After the second shooting, the killer called police and reported the crime. The police dispatcher noted that the killer seemed to be reading from a prepared statement. In the third attack, the killer had several items which indicated pre-planning, including the hooded costume, a gun, a knife, and pre-cut lengths of plastic clothesline intended to bind and restrain the victims. He prepared a false story about escaping from prison 
and needing to steal a car, an apparent effort to calm and mislead the victims to believe he simply intended to rob them. In the fourth attack, the killer apparently intended to kill the driver and directed him to a residential neighborhood to carry out that plan. Removing the piece of the victim's shirt indicated that he planned to use this item to prove that he was responsible for the crime. In the early morning hours of 7-5-69, I received a call from near hysterical teens reporting a shooting at Blue Ox Springs in the parking lot. That was at approximately 12-10 a.m. Officers were on the scene when I answered another call at about 12 my life did change dramatically at that point. I answered the phone standard in the police department. I want to report a double murder. At that time, I tried to uh, interrupt him to get his name and location because it was very important. He said, I want to report a double murder. If you will go one mile east on Columbus Parkway to the public park, you will find the kids in a brown car. They were shot with a nine millimeter Luger. I also killed those kids last year. And his closing was, Goodbye. He was mocking me, is what he was doing. He was playing with me. He did it for shock effect. And it worked. You know, it worked. Number six. The killer enjoys recounting his deeds, either by telephone or written communication, including a message at a crime scene or handwritten letters. David Slate, Napa Police Department, Supplementary Report. At 7.40 p.m., 9.27.69, received a telephone call on line one of the Napa Police Department switchboard. I answered with, Napa Police Department, Officer Slate. A male voice, young-sounding, possibly early 20s, stated calmly, I want to report a murder. No, a double murder. They're two miles north of Park Headquarters. They were in a white Volkswagen Carmen Ghia. There was a pause at which time I asked, Where are you now? In a voice barely audible came, I'm the one who did it. Number seven. The killer often provides minor and or important details. In some cases... The authorities state that these messages contain information known only by the killer. In his first letter, the killer claimed that he was including information known only to himself and the police. In his second letter, 
the killer provided more details about the first two attacks. Number 8. The killer favors victims of chance rather than pre-selected targets, including couples on a roadside, a couple at a lake on a whim, or a cab driver passing by. The evidence indicates that he selected his targets at random. Number 9. The killer can adapt to changing conditions and accomplish his goals, remaining calm under pressure and improvising when necessary. He has the ability to interact with his victims without raising suspicion. In the third attack, the killer engaged in conversation with the victims and tried to calm them by claiming that robbery was his only motive. In the fourth attack, the killer selected a cab driver as the next victim and pretended that he just needed a ride. Now take it easy. All I want is your money. There is nothing to worry about. All I want is your money. Okay. Whatever you say. I want you to know that I will cooperate so you don't have to worry. Whatever you say will do. Do you want us to come up with our hands up or down? Just don't make any fast moves. Come up slowly. But we don't have any money here. All I have is 75 cents. That doesn't matter. Every little bit helps. I'm on my way to Mexico. I escaped from Deer Lodge Prison in Montana. Deer Lodge, I need some money to get there. You're welcome to the money I have. But isn't there something else I can do for you? Give you a check or, or get some more? No. I can give you my phone number and you can call me. No reply. I want to get in contact with you. I'm a sociology major and maybe I can even offer you more help than you think you need. No. Well, is there any other thing you need? Yes. One more thing. I want your car keys. My car is hot. Reaching into pockets, then padding first front, then back pockets. I guess in all the excitement, I don't remember where I put them. Uh, let's see. Uh, are they in my shirt, uh, in the ignition, uh, on the blanket? Say, would you answer a question for me? I've always wondered. On TV, movies, and in an article in the Reader's Digest, they say that thieves really keep their guns loaded. Is yours? Excited, slightly. Yes, it is. Then, calm and matter-of-fact. I killed a couple of men before. What? I, I didn't hear you. I killed a couple of guards getting out of prison. And I'm not afraid to kill again. Brian, do what he says. Now I want the girl to tie you up. Reaches for the rope that he pulls from back pocket. This is really strange. I wonder why someone hasn't thought of this before. I'll bet there's good money in it. No reply. What was the name of that prison? No reply. No, really, what did you say the name of it was? Uh, I'm just curious. Begrudgingly. Deer Lodge in Montana. There must have been some dialogue at this point, but I can't remember anything until we were both tied up. Now, I want you both to lay face down so I can tie up your feet. Come on. 
We could be out here for a long time and it could get cold at night. Come on! Get down! Listen, I didn't complain when you tied our hands, but this is ridiculous. I told you! We aren't going anywhere. Anyway, I don't think it's necessary. Or, oh, come on. We don't want to. Pointing gun directly at me, point-blank range. I told you to get down! He ties me, then her. Your hands are shaking. Are you nervous? Yes. I guess so. <laughs> Laughed in a very relaxed manner. Well, I suppose that I'd be nervous too. Then, after we are tied and hogtied. Now that everything is all said and done, could you show me that your gun is loaded? Or, and probably this, now that all is said and done, was that gun really loaded? Yes, it was. Or, sure, I'll show you. He then opened the cartridge, or whatever. That was the last thing I remember him saying. Signed, Brian Hartnell. Number 10. The killer can employ a carefully constructed ruse when it suits his needs. At Lake Berryessa, the killer created a curiously false yet detailed story regarding a prison escape, the killing of a guard, and his flight to Mexico. He lied to his victims and claimed that he only intended to rob them before stealing their car. But the deception ended with a sudden ambush of violence. The selection of a cab driver and the direction to a predetermined location also suggests planning as well as the ability to interact with and deceive a victim until the desired time to strike. at all, no remorse after any of the acts, certainly no reason or even alleged justification for anything that he does. Several of the shootings have occurred without a single word to anybody, just merely to walk up and start shooting. He calmly goes about his business of, uh, in one case, telephoning the police, and another tearing a strip off the shirt of the dead body of the immediately killed victim. He doesn't get great excitement over it. He just thinks killing is is just killing. Number 11. The killer does not feel a need to interact with the victim after the initial violence, other than to retrieve items he can later use for some known and or unknown purpose, such as trophies to help him relive the attacks, or a possession which he can later use to prove that he was responsible for the crime. He does not sexually molest his victims, nor does he make any effort to transport them away from the scene of the crime. The killer makes no effort to conceal his crimes, in that he does not dispose of or attempt to hide the bodies, but prefers to leave the victims where they fall. Number 12. The killer inflicts potentially lethal and often deadly wounds, but makes no apparent effort to ensure that his victims are dead before leaving the scene of the crime. 
in two instances, rather than leaving his victims to die at isolated locations. The killer called authorities and directed them to the scene and the victims, thereby increasing the possibility that they might somehow survive. Number 13. The killer's crimes revolve around and concern vehicles. He drives to the locations where he attacks victims who are seated in vehicles. He asks for the keys of the vehicle of his victims. He writes a message on the vehicle belonging to a victim. And he sits inside the victim's vehicle in order to commit the crime. He even mentions and or describes the vehicles of his victims in both his telephone and written communications. Number 14. The killer repeatedly defines his crimes in reference to the method and the location and or date of the crime. The killer refers to the victims he killed last Christmas, victims one mile east of Columbus Parkway, those people up north, and the taxi driver over by Washington and Maple Streets. He even writes the location of his attacks on a car door as Vallejo, as well as the dates of those crimes. In his letters, he mentions the caliber of weapons and the brand of the ammunition used in the first two shootings. In his telephone calls to police, the killer states the caliber of the weapon used in the shooting at Blue Rock Springs Park. The message left on the door of the victim's car at Lake Berryessa refers to the method of attack as by knife. Number 15. The killer often describes his fantasies, using vivid details. In his letters, the killer wrote about his desire to kill a dozen people in one weekend, stated his intention to shoot children on a school bus, torture his victims, and keep them as slaves in his afterlife. Dear Editor, This is the murderer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman and the girl on the 4th of July near the golf course in Vallejo. I want you to print this cipher on the front page of your paper. In this cipher is my identity. If you do not print this cipher by the afternoon of Fry, 1st of Aug, 69, I will go on a kill rampage Fry night. I will cruise around all weekend, killing lone people in the night, then move on to kill again until I end up with a dozen people over the weekend. Number 16. The killer enjoys describing the reactions of his victims, but makes no significant effort to inflict pain on his victims, beyond that which is necessary to the completion of his apparent goal, to wound or kill. He does not engage in any acts of obvious or prolonged torture or sadism. Number 17. The killer alludes to past and future victims, often without providing specific details or information. 
He wrote that he would stage his crimes to look like routine robberies, accidents, and killings of anger. He claimed that he shot a man sitting in a parked car, but did not name the victim. Some people have interpreted that statement as a reference to the murder of San Francisco police officer Richard Raditich. But the Zodiac only stated that he shot a man sitting in a parked car with a 38 caliber weapon, and others only assumed the connection to the officer's murder. The killer did claim responsibility for a murder in Southern California and claimed that there were other unidentified victims in that area. This is the Zodiac speaking. Like I have always said, I am crack-proof. If the Blue Meanies are ever going to catch me, they had best get off their fat asses and do something. Because the longer they fiddle and fart around, the more slaves I will collect for my afterlife. I do have to give them credit for stumbling across my riverside activity, but they're only finding the easy ones. There are a hell of a lot more down there. The reason I'm writing to the Times is this. They don't bury me on the back pages like some of the others. Number 18. The killer often warns of future attacks or threatens more violence unless his demands are met. He provided elaborate details regarding his potential reprisals and even sent handwritten diagrams of explosive devices he claimed were intended to kill children on a school bus. School children make nice targets. I think I shall wipe out a school bus some morning. Just shoot out the front tire and then pick off the kiddies as they come bouncing out. Number 19. The killer states that he will strike again, yet many of these threats appear to be nothing more than attempts to frighten the public and or mislead or confuse authorities. He stated his intention to attack a school bus with guns and bombs, but never followed through on his threats. If you cops think I'm going to take on a bus the way I stated I was, you deserve to have holes in your heads. Take one bag of ammonium nitrate fertilizer plus one gallon of stove oil and dump a few bags of gravel on top and then set the shit off and will positively ventilate anything that should be in the way of the blast. The death machine is already made. I would have sent you pictures, but you would be nasty enough to trace them back to developer and then to me, so I shall describe my masterpiece to you. The nice part of it is all the parts can be bought on the open market with no questions asked. One battery-powered clock will run for approximately one year. One photoelectric switch two copper leaf springs, two six-volt car batteries, one flashlight bulb plus reflector, one mirror, two 18-inch cardboard tubes, black with shoe polish inside and out, mirror, bus, bombs, one bag each, six-volt battery, six-volt battery, 
Bus goes bang, car passes by okay. The system checks out from one end to the other in my tests. What you do not know is whether the death machine is at the site or whether it is being stored in my basement for future use. I think you do not have the manpower to stop this one by continually searching the roadsides looking for this thing. And it won't do to reroute and reschedule the buses because the bomb can be adapted to new conditions. Have fun. By the way, it could be rather messy if you try to bluff me. Number 20. The killer links himself to and or claims credit only for crimes which remain unsolved. The Zodiac claimed responsibility for six specific crimes, including the murders on Lake Herman Road, the shootings at Blue Rock Springs Park, the stabbing at Lake Berryessa, the killing of a cab driver in San Francisco, the failed abduction of a young pregnant woman, and the murder of a woman in Riverside, California. All of these crimes remain unsolved. The signature of the Zodiac reveals his needs and may offer clues about his true motives. The lack of any discernible traditional motives and his apparently random selection of victims indicate that he looked for potential victims when he felt the urge to kill. His prior planning of the crimes indicated that he did not immediately act on the impulse to kill. His prior planning of the crimes indicated that he wanted to maximize his satisfaction in carrying out the attacks. He selected victims of convenience in areas where he expected to quickly and or easily find potential targets. His choices reveal his need for convenience when satisfying his urge to kill. The Zodiac did not ensure that all of the victims died an indication that he may have felt the need to commit acts of violence, but did not feel the need to ensure that the attack resulted in death. The varying MO of shooting and stabbing victims indicates his need to experiment, to experience new excitements in the acts of violence. The later crimes indicate that the killer felt the need to create a ruse, to prolong the anticipation building up to the actual attack, and a need to assert his power by controlling the victims until he was ready to strike. The later crimes also indicate that the killer may have believed that the attacks served as a necessary component in the secondary goal to attract attention to himself. Calling the police after the attack indicated that the crime was the foundation for his plan to seek attention, which would somehow validate or confirm his power to control others. Taunting citizens and authorities demonstrated his need to feel superior, and his desire to be viewed as an important figure 
worthy of attention. Recounting the crimes and making violent threats demonstrated his need to display and exert his power. Creating fear demonstrated his need to traumatize others beyond the act of killing. He needed that fear to reflect the image of power and serve his ego. Taking risks which were unnecessary to carry out the attacks indicated his need to experience greater thrills as his crime spree escalated. Lingering at the crime scenes, increasing the chance that he may have been seen by witnesses and exposing himself in telephone calls to police demonstrated that he was not primarily concerned about being captured, but driven to seek out the attention he craved. Many media reports about the case did not provoke a response from the killer, indicating that getting attention was not as important to him as getting the kind of attention he wanted when he wanted that attention. The rest of the time, he ignored many opportunities to exploit the media attention and did not respond to various theories linking him to other crimes. His lack of interest in exploiting those opportunities demonstrated his need to control his own narrative and ignore efforts to change his story. He may have welcomed the confusion about his crimes, but felt no need to correct the record by claiming or denying responsibility for other attacks linked to him by the media. He did cultivate the image of a prolific killer by encouraging speculation about his possible involvement in other crimes. The Zodiac wanted to be feared, and that fact may offer a clue to his real motives. Perhaps he did not feel powerful in his daily life, and the crimes and resulting publicity made him feel powerful as he watched the public and the police react to the horror he created. In his third attack, the killer wore a carefully constructed hooded costume with a large crossed circle on the chest. He may have enjoyed the thrill of knowing that this costume was disturbing, even frightening, and that he was undoubtedly the center of attention. He demanded that the victims acknowledge his power, and that may have been the Zodiac's ultimate goal, his primary motive, to be seen, to be recognized as a powerful man who could terrorize the world. Dear Editor, this is the Zodiac speaking. I was not happy to see that I did not get front page coverage. I get awfully lonely when I am ignored. So lonely, I could do my thing. Only the killer knows what compelled him to commit his crimes, and his true motives may remain a mystery unless the Zodiac is finally identified. Even then, the killer may never reveal his motivations, leaving more unanswered questions about the mind of the Zodiac.
Zodiac, A to Z. Written and produced by Michael Butterfield. Zodiac voice by John Knight. Zodiac, A to Z. Produced for ZodiacKillerFacts.com. <laughs>